Hey Liberators, welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content. LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss how you can liberate yourself from the outdated and harmful sales-led growth model from the 1980s and instead achieve marketing-led growth via the buyer-centric revenue model. Enjoy profit, growth, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Topics include 1. Marketing versus sales development. 2. Real sales versus sales assembly line. 3. Real goals and metrics versus MQLs and quota. 4. Full salary plus bonus versus commission. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Slack community to discuss and implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Enjoy insights, resources, and jobs. Plus, live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more, check out my LinkedIn videos or my book, Marketing-Led Growth via the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model, available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey everyone, in this episode, we've got John Selig, and he helps marketers to infuse humor into your positioning, messaging, taglines, content, social ads, and website copy, and more. And previously, John spent 12 years in B2B sales across big companies and startups. And then in 2011, same year Predictable Revenue was published, he decided to get serious about his career and began performing stand-up comedy and now has been able to infuse that um, into uh, helping companies yeah, capitalize on humor to gain and hold attention. So really excited to have you on. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And I never thought about the fact that my stand-up career uh, was, you know, came, was born at the same time as Predictable Revenue. So now <laughs> I have to develop some deep cut jokes about that at some point. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, it's either fortuitous or coincidence, or maybe you're in cahoots with with, uh, Aaron Ross. We'll see. But yeah, so thrilled to have you. Now let's get you stuck in right into the B2B buyers flip-flops. So maybe you can share with us a little bit about how you like to become aware of vendors and how you generally become aware of vendors, how you hear about them initially in that awareness stage, and perhaps... You know, you can think about some of the tools that you use as a solopreneur, um, you know, uh, and how you heard about them and maybe walk us through some of those examples, whether whether that's uh, accounting software or marketing software or CRM software or something used for the website. So, yeah, typical examples that people have been mentioning for how they hear about stuff, so maybe to give you some food for thought is peers or influencers or from vendors content or social media marketing from ads, things like that. So go ahead. Yeah, so as a solopreneur, I'm glad you highlighted that I am dealing with 92 gazillion things which are constantly shifting. And, you know, they're having little wars within my brain and jockeying for position at the, mm-hmm. at the front of my cerebral cortex. Forgive me if uh, my neurology uh, terminology is not on point, but I hope you get the idea. Um, and so, so this, there's a lot going on. And, you know, we're paying attention to LinkedIn. I hang out there. Um, I'm, I'm part of a couple of communities, 
part of a, once upon a time, I used to participate a bit in a WhatsApp group with other solopreneurs and you nailed it. There's an, everything's floating around in the ether. And we see these names float across our LinkedIn feeds and we check them out. Oh, that's cool. And then then someone else in your WhatsApp group mentions it and things just sort of bubble to the top. I find in today's um, let's just call it sharing marketplace. So when my peers are talking about something and when I see it enough on LinkedIn, I will, you know, investigate a little bit deeper, go to their website, check out a couple of reviews. Um, I might not take action right away. Maybe something just sounds cool. And that's my biggest problem, by the way. I got to put my hand up. I get very excited when I see something cool and think about this is really cool. How can I use this to, you know, get way, 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 way more successful. And then reality crashes down when I realize I got to finish this email, which has been taking me 45 minutes to do. Um, And, and you put it to the, you put it to the side, but eventually sometimes that need does become real. Oh, I love that. So you got peers, you know, particularly on LinkedIn, you know, some communities uh, and back in the day, I guess, WhatsApp groups. Um, and well, that's so, happening today still. I'm not, I don't really deal with it oh, too yeah? much, but there's a couple that I'm part of and I've just turned off the notifications, but they're very active. Oh, that's great. So what are some of the examples of communities or WhatsApp groups that you're a part of? Um, there's one specifically for sales trainers. Uh, which I am part of uh, because that is a hat I wear uh, using comedy to help sales teams um, master some messaging that helps connect their prospects. Um, There's Rev Genius as well. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of Slack communities that have come and gone. There were a lot of SDR communities that when I started, (laughs) sorry, I know it's a dirty word around here, but um, but I used to take take part in those or, or just, just passively observe. I sort of wasn't the guy. I realized I'm not this guy that um, fits into these communities super well from a contribution perspective because I don't work in a, in a SaaS day-to-day. I don't work in, a, in an environment like a sales team. I, I haven't worked for anybody uh, you know, in any serious capacity really since 2012 with a couple of small exceptions as, as a contractor. So I'm kind of like a little bit removed from the day-to-day that people are uh, that of the of the day-to-day that people are conversing about. And so I just How lucky. quite passive. Yeah, <laughs> like I got to say, I mean I you know, I don't know if it shows on my face, but I'm a little bit older than some of these people. So I'm really glad at this phase of my career that I am not talking about all these weird KPIs that people are hung up on um or activities. Hmm. So in short, I mean um Rev Genius is one that I poke into, but really, 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 my number one source for information is my LinkedIn feed. Uh, I'm connected with so many sales professionals, sales leaders, marketing professionals, marketing leaders, marketing consultants, sales consultants, you name it. And they're all kind of like, you know, as per what you're doing, like, like the two are coming together a little bit slowly. Like mm. one of my favorite jokes is, um, you know, this call, when I, if I was to cold call you, Nelson, I'd say, this call is colder than the relationship between sales and marketing. Um, but, but there's a bit of a thaw happening, I think, because people like you were talking about this kind of stuff. And um, I mean, I just my LinkedIn feed seems to give me 85% of what I need as far right as on. tools to consider. Mm. And then are there any example tools from, you know, as a solopreneur uh, that, you know, you acquire that you uh, heard about through these through these methods that come to mind or any equipment that you use what so it could be either software or even hardware for the for recording and things like that go for it 
Um, does my MacBook, uh, does my MacBook Air count? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that, oh, that's no. cheap. I mean, Apple is like the gold standard, as as good as it gets, isn't it? Right? They're pretty ubiquitous. I don't think it took LinkedIn for me to learn about Apple. Um, I, I would say, like for example, Apollo. Right when I started. Mm. Um, doing what I do. I tried Mailshake. I tried another one called, oh my God, I forget. Uh, I forget who they are. And I ended up moving to Apollo for both like data and some, you know, I do a minimal amount of cold emails. I don't do a ton of them. Um, so, so they're one that I just, I learned about through, through social media, through conferences, what have you. Um, I'm using boast.io these days. Um, because I'm launching a self-guided course and I need to get some testimonials up there. And I, I, it wasn't even the one that was recommended to me, but I didn't even know. Cause so here's me, I'm a Luddite. Um, I'm learning about technologies probably two years after they become relevant. Um, so if typically I wanted a testimonial. I just say to my client, Hey, can you record yourself on your iPhone, put it on um, uh, landscape and send me the file. And that sometimes resulted in me not getting a testimonial because I put this weird burden on them. Uh, oh, now there's a software that you can record your, your testimonials into right into your, your webcam. Um, so I found out about that and I did a bunch of research and I just, I went with Boast, for example. That was one that did not come through, um, through LinkedIn. I think Rev Genius, some people were talking about just testimonial solutions in general. Mm. Uh, and I just did some research, went with one. Um, trying to think of some other tools. So you got Apollo. And then, so as you're chewing on another tool, so just to recap there, so Boast, a testimonial software, you know, he kind of heard about testimonial software as a thing um, in let's say RevGenius, a community, and then dug into some research. But the initial awareness, even if it wasn't a specific vendor, it was the category that this was, that there's a, you know, a solution to this problem of, of getting testimonials that existed that then led him to pursue his own research. Now, do you remember how you heard about Apollo? The first time was actually at the 10 bound conference in probably 2018, just heard the name. I met someone who was with them and I didn't even know what the hell they were or what they did. I barely knew that sequences and cadences and all these other made up words were a real thing. Um, or that ghost data uh, legally. Um, that's debatable, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't even know this stuff existed again. I sort of sold in a, in a more dinosaur-esque environment, mm-hmm. different era, so to speak. Uh, and that's where I first learned about Apollo. But like I said, I used Mailshake a little bit. Um, there was another tool I used because it integrated to my CRM Zoho. Uh, who, and incidentally, I, I chose Zoho uh, because they were my client. I did about a dozen marketing events and a sales training for them. And I just sort of blindly went with them. It does all kinds of stuff. Um, it does a good enough job that I stick with it at the right price. Um, wouldn't say it's perfect at anything, but it, but for a solopreneur, there's a lot of tools there. It's a fair bit of value. So I, I chose another, uh, cold, uh, cold, like an outreach tool because it integrated, it had a native integration, but I moved off that and I went to Apollo because of the data capability. So you keep learning mm. as you hang around this little world, um, you quit making certain rash decisions, and you start taking more informed ones uh, after weighing certain pros and cons of sticking with who you're with um, and versus moving to someone new. Right. And as if you consider how John is hearing about how he's getting information, he's how he's getting informed. Um, it's through his peers and 
through marketing efforts. So for example, Paula was from a market, was basically a conference on behalf of 10 bound. Right. And then, um, relationships or your network, um, came, brought you to Zoho. Um, and that's another part of marketing is networking, right? It's people who are in your network that you have a relationship with. Um, there's a past customers, current customers, whatever. And, um, you're leveraging that, right? A startup, let's say a founder, first place he goes network. You ask your friends, your family, your enemies, whatever, whoever, you know, to try your product, give you feedback or, uh, you know, buy it. So, okay. So that's awesome. Now let's take the negative of that question. How do you not like to be marketed to at the initial awareness stage? Like, how do you not like to be made aware of companies? Um, what causes you to tune out and turn off? Uh, pitch slaps. So uh, some SDR or AE will connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they won't even give me a compliment. They'll just be like, Hey, I want to get you this information on how I can do this for you or, or how we do this and we do that. And it's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like, let's date a little bit first here, bud. like, you don't even, <laughs> you don't even know what, uh, what business I'm in. You're just, you're just spraying and praying here. So that's, and that's a common one. I would say, uh, I would say that that for me is like the biggest turnoff possible when someone is super aggressive and wants to get on a call before, like, I'm just like, dude, I'm just one guy. Like, I'm not going to help you hit your number and you should know this. Um, same with um, LinkedIn in mail too. I don't get that much of it. Quite frankly, I don't really get any in mail from anyone, from any vendors. I get them from, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a sole practitioner doing these kind of activities and I'm based in this, this part of the world. And uh, they're like, let's get them a call and see how I could help you. I'm like, but I never said I needed help. <laughs> right. And so just for, so people understand the pitch lap or the distinction between LinkedIn in mails and the pitch lap that John just drew here is the connect and pitch where you connect with someone. And because you connect with someone on LinkedIn, then you can message them. But if you're not connected to them, you can send them what's called a LinkedIn in mail. Um, and that is like, you have to pay for those with a certain level of subscription with LinkedIn in order to send these messages without having to connect with someone. And so typically that is, um, those messages are solicitations and, and spam product pitches or requests to speak to sales. And so, you know, John's very active on LinkedIn and that's how I heard about John. So there's a little bit of awareness and marketing attribution, right? I heard about John on LinkedIn. He's been very active on LinkedIn and, and so, um, to get these type of messages on LinkedIn is very frustrating because he's trying to build genuine relationships uh, with people and use this platform in a good way and not be bothered all the time uh, with all the spam. And so um, how do you also feel about uh, either telemarketing or, or email spam? So same thing that's going on on LinkedIn, but either to your phone or to your email. I get very little of that and maybe I shouldn't be admitting that, um, but I don't, I don't get too many cold emails coming my way the odd one. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not your guy. Um, just, just a guy working in a, in a sterile room with a couple of album covers on the wall. Um, you know, that's a large corporation. I don't even that's know how John can be like, now that he's out the, the, the technical, uh, you know, B2B game as an out on like on the outsider as an agency third party, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, saved years off his life because that's he's right. not, he's not exposed to as much of that uh, anymore. So you're very fortunate. So, so yes, that's very good. So primarily these days, because you are very active on LinkedIn it's LinkedIn spam. 
So um, now let's let's pivot. So what would you say, um, you know, as a buyer, is your percentage split preference for becoming aware of vendors due to proper marketing, like you talked about in the beginning, through your peers, through content, through social media, through communities, events, things like that? versus spam like LinkedIn spam, or if you were to receive email spam, same thing on LinkedIn or telemarketing, do you have a percentage split preference? And if so, what? I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'm going to do my best to try and address <laughs> what you're saying. Um, look, I think, I think proper marketing is a blessing and a curse to guys like me because I hate cookies. Like I, you know, I try to decline all cookies and stuff like that. I don't know if they care, you know? Um, And so let's say I'm checking out a tool all of a sudden, boom, it's in all my social media feeds. Like it's, you know, I'm seeing that uh, Schmiza wants, you know, I see ads for Schmiza everywhere. That Schmiza, by the way, everybody's my go-to fictitious name for some SaaS tool that doesn't exist. Um, And so in, in a sense, though, if I keep getting exposure to Schmiza, and I was actually expressing some interest in it, they're doing their jobs properly. But it is a turnoff at the same time. They're totally, they figured me out. They got me, they got me going with it. Um, you know, email, I don't respond to email. There, there's, there's a chance I would. If I felt it was really bang on the nose, I might respond to a cold email. Uh, somebody wrote me a cold email once using all the greatest techniques of personalization. John, I heard you on this podcast and I loved everything you said and blah, blah, blah. And and then, you know, I really admire the way you built a business. And then this is who we are. This is what we do. Do you want to book a call? And I'm like, I don't really care that you flattered me. I don't care. Like you didn't tell me how you're going to make my life better in any way. You flatter me. You told me who you are. That's it. So I could be sold to over email. And I wouldn't say that's an invitation to everyone listening to start spamming me. Um, but I, I could be if, if it's a well done email that tells me exactly like what's in this for me. Um, and it says that they get my business. Um, but as far as, you know, I'd rather be sold to through more traditional marketing channels, not email, not even LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, so through those through those channels you mentioned before, so peers, LinkedIn, communities, let's say WhatsApp groups, events like Ten Bound Conference, or your network, um, like through uh, Zoho. Um, so using that as a reference for less as a percentage split between proper marketing versus spam between LinkedIn spam, email spam, telemarketing, whatnot. What would you say is your percentage split preference? I would say 110% to minus 10% in favor of <laughs> that first group you mentioned. I love this because, you know, when you interview 30 or 35 people, you start to see patterns. And uh, John is is the only one to be funny about any of this. So it's very refreshing. So I, I love it. Um, and I think that's part, we'll talk definitely about that. So I'm, I'm you know, if it's refreshing to me, think about also how refreshing it is to your buyers who are probably hearing similar messages from other vendors in your space all the time. And so someone, I mean, think about how often people are funny in your life. Um, Some people are funny most of the time. Most people are funny some of the time. So, um, you know, humor isn't all that common, let's say in in B2B marketing. We were definitely going to get into that, but just, just, I just, something that I have just observed right now um, 
And uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll definitely dive into that, but maybe you guys have also observed that. So, okay. Now, once you become aware of vendors and then you talked a little bit about earlier about how you'd go and you learn about them and you do research, you said, you know, you go to the website, you check out reviews and, and maybe you hit up peers as well or something like that and say, Hey, uh, folks in this community or that community, um, how are you using it? Or maybe a LinkedIn post, you saw people were talking about it and you kind of got to see what people were weighing in saying this or that or the other. So maybe you can talk us about how you do talk to us a little bit about how you do some of that research. Um, once you do become aware to suss out, you know, Hey, what's this vendor about? How's it going to help me? What does the product look like? How much does it cost? So yeah, where, where do you go for that? And you know, maybe you can walk us through it. Uh, Alta Vista, um, Yahoo, um, mama.com <laughs> a search engine from back in the day. No, I mean, I go to Google, uh, you know, and just, just look up like some keywords and, uh, check out a couple of sites and I don't have a lot mm. of time to think about all this stuff. So I just kind of make some emotional yet rational decisions. Um, <laughs> don't we all on the website, what sort of information do you like to see about the vendor and what sort of information let's say that's missing, you know, bothers you that you really want on the website? I like to know who they're working with, who they're helping. Like, is this a tool that no one's using or are you at least going to, and then granted just because you throw up a few logos on there, it doesn't mean that uh, that you're doing in-depth work with these guys and they're thrilled with you. It just means they've bought your stuff or um, I better be careful because I have a bunch of logos on my website. <laughs> I like to think everyone's pretty happy with me, but, um, but you know, I like to know, are, are, is there, do they have good use cases? I think that's always important. Like explain a use case for how uh, this, this logo, which is on your website is using the tool. If there's a testimonial, of course, that's great. Um, shocker. I like to look at pricing. I'm a solopreneur. I can't have a million recurring charges on my credit card, um, of really high prices. Like I'm a, I'm a good value shopper in general. Um, I point to those albums. They have lots of scratches, but I paid practically nothing for them, which is <laughs> why they're on my wall. Um, and they're good art, but, uh, I paid very little for them. So I like to think I, I know value. Um, but, but ultimately I just, I, I'm going with a little bit of gut instinct here. Like, is this, is this, are they, are they, do they have a, are they priced fairly? Will it deliver what I need? And are enough people happy with it? Right on. And so, you know, you look for logos, testimonials, use cases, pricing. Um, and, you know, as a solopreneur, oftentimes, so you're making these, you're putting these, uh, typically they're tools that you, you buy right there on the website, you self-serve hundred percent. And I think we were talking about in the green room before the show that most of the software you buy, um, for your solopreneurship is self-serve. And so, um, maybe you can talk about in general, um, you know, uh, suppose you did need, um, you know, to speak to sales for something, um, to some extent, uh, to buy a certain software in addition to, doing all the self-educating through marketing, let's say on the website or marketing's influence on your peers. Um, you know, what would you say is your percentage split preference for uh, marketing versus sales, for getting information from marketing versus sales? And go ahead. Trick question. I feel yeah. that's a trick question on your part because- Definitely. I feel we stare at screens way too much. And this whole self-service thing, it's important, but it also sucks. Because all I'm doing all day is staring at a screen. Sometimes I just want someone to tell me, you know, what I need to know. But 
Uh, I mean, as you can probably appreciate, sometimes you get shuffled around a little bit between uh, different, let's just say, roles at a company. I just want to speak to one person and I don't want to be sold to. I just want to be consulted with. Uh, or I want them to, I, I, I want to consult with them. I want to explain them my use case. I want them to know what my business needs are. And then just explain to me how they would do it, how they would solve this um, without showing me every feature, every function, trying to talk to me about stuff I didn't bring up. Yes, if maybe they smell there's some added value that they could um, toss into the conversation, that would give me another reason to consider their stuff on top of the fact that it can help me with my direct needs. I would love that. But, but overall, like, I think to, you know, there, there's a challenge is that salespeople are, they want to talk about the features and the functions. And again, it's some, sometimes not always, they make it more about themselves and that's a waste of time. So we're kind of damned if we do, and we're damned if we don't, I just feel like you're staring at a website a lot and are, are for all kinds of, for all kinds of, well, for everything associated with your job when you're a solopreneur, and, and sometimes you just want to talk to someone. Mm. Uh, the same goes for support of some of these tools. Where do we get shuffled? To a chat. We have to sit there and wait while we're in a queue. And then while after we ask the question, they have to go do their research. And then it's kind of frustrating, especially for support. I just want to deal with someone. Just coach me through this over a phone call or voice, voice conversation or Zoom or whatever. Um, but I just stop making me read screens, please. But here's another way of maybe, and, and so to maybe conceptualize this because yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you want, uh, to self-educate, you know, on the website and yeah. just deal with the screens. And sometimes it's like, it'd be nice to speak to someone. So let's say, assuming you want to speak to someone, how far along already are you on your buying journey percentage wise, uh-huh. um, before you speak to sales? So sometimes for people that's like, you know, that could be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90%. They're like, and then sales is the last 10, 20%, um, maybe to, for certain questions or, or certain bits and pieces. So um, some people before more, some people before less. And I guess for you, assuming that sales would need to be involved or you wanted sales involved, um, what percentage, how, how far along are you before you get to sales? 67.64. Ooh, nice. Okay. This will I've be done, good. I've done, I've done the calcs here. Wait, wait, so what was the number again? <laughs> 67.64, if memory serves me correctly. 0.64. Oh man, you're going to ruin all my calculations after. Okay, I'm definitely going to round that up. I'm going to I'm gonna cheese that out and just do 67. I, I won't take any offense to it. Nice. Uh, okay, cool. So yeah, and so most kind of a little bit over half of the way through, through marketing um, and self-educating, but then there's that 40 or so percent um, with sales to to understand um, you know, other different bits and pieces before he pulls the trigger. Right. So, yeah. okay. So now on the topic of sales, um, to the extent that you need sales, do you prefer a single seller? Um, or would you prefer a single seller, like an AE CSM combined same seller pre-sales, the same seller post-sale to help with post-sale fulfillment, adoption, implementation, success versus a handoff an AE CSM split and why go ahead. I think that uh, I don't mind dealing with a customer success person. And that's just out of empathy for um, the role of a seller whose job is to bring in new business. I don't want an SDR to get in touch for me to talk to an SDR. And then for me to have to re-explain everything to an AE. 
That's the one thing I don't want. Once I'm a customer, give me to a CSM. That's fine. Those people probably know the nuts and bolts of the tools anyway. They probably deal with these kind of solutions, uh, these kind of challenges that customers have all the time. They're well-versed in getting us over the hump. That is cool. I mean, it's kind of the same thing if you're, you know, you buy some equipment, you buy it, uh, let's say I bought some stereo equipment, get it from a store, but you're going to deal with the company's tech support after. Um, you don't deal with the same person who sold it to you. So I'm okay with that. I just don't want to be shuffled off before I make a purchase. Right on. And so, um, you know, you don't want the SDR to AE handoff, um, mm-hmm. but you're cool with the AE CSM handoff, um, you know, and presumably the CSM has this post-sale fulfillment experience. Um, that is really what you are interested in the implementation adoption and success and they've got the efficacy and expertise in that so as long as they got that you're cool if there's one seller with the initial sale but different person post-sale fulfillment right i caught you right gotcha and so i'll put you down then for what i call the sales assembly line the aecsm split um so now the other question regarding sales is you know if you had a preference for how your sellers are compensated. And so as a buyer, suppose you knew how your seller was compensated before you dealt with them. Let's say it was advertised on the website. Would you prefer a seller that was commissioned versus a seller that was paid a full salary and bonus? And again, full salary and bonus, you can think of as their full OTE given to them at the outset and guaranteed. Um, And so, yeah, maybe you can help us understand as a buyer, which would you prefer and why, you know, what, what sort of incentives could commission have on a seller that could then trickle to the buyer? So I'm in the minority of, uh, I would say salespeople, at least in the technology world, in that I was selling enterprise technology. And sometimes the more you know about features and functions, the less effective a seller you are. So my job was to be the point person and just try and round up information obviously qualify the deal, understand the prospect's needs, what they're looking to achieve, see if we can be a good fit. If they have money and they're a good fit, get resources involved to really talk Turkey um, with prospects. And so at that point, I view myself as a consultant. I'm just a project manager at a consulting firm. We're just trying to see if, if we can, we can help you fix this problem. Um, in that regard, like I think that most people need to take that approach to their consultants. They're solving problems. Uh, you know, my, my, me choosing to, to work on deals shouldn't necessarily come down to, a, am I going to be, am I going to commission, make a lot of money off of commissions for a particular deal? Um, I, I'd like to see sales move to more of a, a um, kind of a, a comp plan where it's base salary and bonus. Does the team hit their goals? Um, you know, we would help each other out quite a bit as colleagues on deals. Hey, have you ever dealt with this kind of thing? And, you know, as, a, as another rep, you're giving your time to your colleague. Um, and so in short, the commission model, I think, is kind of outdated for a lot of reasons. Uh, I just think if reps focus more on solving problems um, versus worrying about big quotas and stuff like that, um, learning how to master the art of figuring out are we are we a fit for this this prospect and can they buy uh, I think that could lead to greater deal velocity and and ultimately everyone hitting numbers and 
I think it should be more of a, a salary and bonus kind of approach. That was really long winded. I get that. I don't know. That was good. And um, good introspection as well. And it's cool because, you know, you've been in the enterprise selling space and were commissioned. Right. And um, but you would like to see that go in a different direction. And so are you aware by any chance of any companies that do do that? And then I'll share some that I'm aware of because I'm always on the hunt for to learn more, more about companies that do that. Uh, it's not it's not something I I talk to my clients about like, so how are your people compensated? I, I, <laughs> We don't, we don't get into that. So um, no, I can't gotcha. say, yeah, I can't say I do know. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just, you know, for, you know, that might be, that might interest you. Uh, some companies I'm aware of monday.com, plural site, culture amp, bamboo, HR, Legion logistics, microchip technology, bravado, Zapier, all these. Yeah. So John's taking furious notes, um, you know, so he can sleep with this list at, at night, make him feel better. No. So um, yeah. So anyway, um, always looking to find more. I think I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Um, I think full salary plus bonus is, is the advantageous way. Um, and so, okay, so let's take off your B2B buyer flip-flops and we'll put on your B2B marketing and sales hat. And, um, so one of the things I'm curious to understand is how you go about marketing yourself and your services. You know, I obviously heard about you on LinkedIn, um, and uh, love some of your witty uh, comments and posts. And, and so maybe you can talk us, you know, what are you doing these days to, to help uh, get the word out on the street? Uh, conversations like these podcasts are always a great way to, to market yourself to pretty niche audiences, but LinkedIn is by far the, the number, the number one way I market myself, just putting content out there, trying to relate to people who are going through the ups and downs of sales and marketing or sales development or enablement. Um, I, I would say that's like, you know, creating content is 80% of my marketing effort. I'd say distribution is 20%. So am I distributing this over my, to my email list? Like I created for LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm turning it into, um, you know, I use Zoho as my marketing automation. So people sign up, they get my content. They can get that at johnseelig.com. There's a pop-up there. They can figure it out. Um, but but distribution, I would say, is 20. Figuring out how to get people my content outside of LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn is like a no-brainer, right? Um, as long as, you know, the algorithm plays ball, people should see your stuff um, when, you have a, when you have a volume of followers. And not that I have the biggest, because I don't. But enough people see my stuff that I, that I, that I persist with it. Um, but trying to figure out how to get people to see my content through other means is again, a distribution problem is I would say the hardest part for a solo firm. So it's hard to be active on multiple social media platforms, hats off to those who do it. Um, I just can't stare at screens this much. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to figure out how can I distribute stuff in a more effective way? Um, still staring at a screen to be quite frank, but I feel so, I feel if I was to like take all my LinkedIn stuff and translate it to Twitter, I'd be on a screen all day. Whereas I'd rather, I'd rather build an email list. Um, we can't do everything. So I just focus on creating good content that people like, and then, you know, the challenge is how do you get people to see it? Right on. So, you know, you're on guest podcasts, you're doing a lot of LinkedIn content and you're a solopreneur. You can't be everywhere all the time. It's a lot of, uh, you know, um, so you got to pick and choose your battles and you do have a big following. His is bigger than mine um, at the moment getting there. 
Um, but uh, so now are there, have you thought at all about doing a podcast or uh TikTok? <laughs> yes. And yes. <laughs> uh, but then I think about God, I just don't know if I could sell my soul that way. No offense. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I, I feel like the, the trap that we're all in is that we have to create content in a never ending fashion. And that overtakes the thing we actually do. And I feel that's bad for my soul. Personally, you, you can do what you, you can do things as you see fit, but I, I, I feel like I like writing. I don't mind creating the odd video. I might do a might, I might, I, I might do a TikTok account. Uh, but again, I just, I don't know if I have the energy for it. It just looks like it saps a lot of energy um, because, hey guys, when you're the comedy writing for revenue teams guy, everyone expects you to be funny all the time and creating content isn't really funny. It's work. I mean, yes, you want to make it funny, but that's part of the work. And then the editing, the funny is in the editing or the funny is in the titles. Um, and so it, it's a lot of work. It adds several layers trying to be funny adds time and complexity to every piece of content that I try to create. Because if it's not funny, people are going to know, how can this guy claim he's the comedy running for revenue teams guy? I don't care how salient a point he makes. I don't care how much sales and marketing brilliance is baked into this post. It's just <laughs> funny. And so I lose credibility. So I have to be very careful with what I put out. And I'm a human. I don't always feel like being funny. I don't always have it in me. Uh, and so to get on this TikTok wheel where you have to create content all the time on top of LinkedIn content, um, it just, it feels like, uh, am I setting myself up for failure? Same with the pod. I think a podcast I could do, but um, it looks like a lot of work on top of what I already have. Um, I might, I might do a weekly LinkedIn live, like a five to 10 minute one. Um, maybe people can say, Hey, John, I would tune into that by listening, by, by commenting on, um, you know, when you post this on LinkedIn or wherever you distribute it, maybe we can figure out with people like a LinkedIn live where I talk to sellers and marketers and help them explain how humor made a difference in their role um, in a deal or in a campaign or what have you. So that's something I'm thinking about um, on top well, this of is the a, 90 million other things I'm already doing. And this is a very salient point because, um, you know, John is, he, you know, he's a funny guy and even for him, it's not like he can be funny 24 seven all the time. And like, and so imagine the average B2B marketer. And one of the reasons you don't see humor so often in B2B um, is because humor is hard. It's really hard to um, get good with humor and use that properly in your marketing to gain attention, hold attention and actually convey your positioning and messaging. So one of the things I'd like to understand from you um, is your philosophy about uh, inserting humor into uh, B2B marketing to win the hearts and minds because you don't often see it. And I, I would just love to get your take on, um, well, first of all, uh, why why should humor be used in, in folks' marketing efforts? What is it about humor um, that is so powerful? And what have you seen the results? You know, what was the, maybe the aha moment that you had when you realized, ah, if I'm funny in my marketing, that that's, that's really a great way to break through the, all the noise. 
and then maybe um, talk through uh, some of the things you've you've done to help people and what the results are that they've seen. So I know that's a that's a loaded question right there, and we'll we'll, we'll piecemeal that out. But I got a lot of questions for you on this, so go ahead. I'll kind of just kick it off and open the door. Where do I start here? Um, there's a lot of questions in one there. Um, I, I guess when I was a sales guy, uh, I realized I was, and, and there's this there's this myth that CIOs and CFOs are serious, that, that if you joke with them, you're going to lose credibility. I didn't care when I was selling enterprise technology. I'm just like, if I can insert some, some of my own personality and humor and have a human conversation with these people, um, it'll get me more attention. Because if I can make them laugh, just breaks down our barriers between us. And they're less inclined to tell you, go away, especially if it's a cold call which is definitely how I started my career. Um, and, I, and humor helps you get attention uh, because again, these people, they're dealing with a lot of boring stuff all day long. And there's a fun fact that I like to share in my keynote, which is two thirds of Americans over the age of 35 are disengaged with their careers. Hmm. So it doesn't mean that they don't do their job or they don't care about succeeding, but they're not quite as in love with it as when they're, 26 at a startup, you know, and loving their career. They're cynical and jaded. Absolutely. Because a couple of layoffs will do that to you. Right. Um, and so they're, they're dealing with some really boring stuff. They're not in love with their job. And if you can come and hit them and hit them with some truth and some pain packaged up in a way that gets a laugh from them, they're going to be extremely grateful because your messaging wasn't frivolous. It wasn't, it wasn't just some quick joke about the weather. If you can tie, if you can wrap their pain, which you can eliminate uh, in a, as, as a punchline and paint a picture of what sucks in a way that, that, again, drives an emotional reaction called laughter from them, they're going to give you more time and attention and take you more seriously. Because it's not easy to make jokes about things like, I don't know, dealer network marketing, which is you know, a good segue to one of my uh, clients who's a success story. Um, I'll, t- I'll talk, to, t- talk to you guys about these guys' power cord in a minute because um, you asked for results. And uh, one of my recent clients has some great results to share. So, you know, humor is all about truth and pain. It's about grabbing attention. And, you know, my, my joke, since I've been doing stand-up comedy, because uh, like when I get on stage, Nobody knows who I am. doesn't matter how often I do stand-up. No one knows who I am. It um, doesn't matter how funny I am. If I, unless I'm building this social media brand, most regular people don't know most comedians. Sure, they know Chappelle, uh, Ali Wong, uh, Whitney Cummings, um, Bill Burr, whoever, right? But that's, there's like 10 comedians on the planet that everyone knows And most people don't know the rest, even some big ones. They just don't know them. So when they come out on stage, they have like 15 to 20 seconds to make the audience laugh and get them on board. And that's no different than if we interact with a piece of marketing content, we take a cold call or we're sitting on a demo. Uh, And so like when I come out on stage and stand up, I, I, I just tell them I look like Ross and Monica's dad. Um, I make reference to that. There you go. You're laughing and they're on my side. It's like I show them, I know what's on their mind. Um, you guys think this, I'm going to acknowledge that. And there's a connection. 
that happens. So humor has all kinds of uh, potent um, capabilities for, for marketers and for sellers. Um, work is boring enough. Life is serious enough. Why can't we, why can't we have a little fun with it? But we can't do it to the point where it detracts from our message. We just need to use it to grab attention uh, and to make the odd point, maybe even on the wrap up of something. Um, so I have a client called PowerCord and they are a, a CRM and um, they, their CRM is for manufacturers who sell their products through dealerships. So think of like, like big power kind of construction tools and stuff like that. Mm. Is that even a category? A power construction tool? No, I mean like steel is their customer. S T I H L. I believe that's one of their customers. So, so um, these large manufacturers drum up um, marketing leads for their dealers and they flip it to a dealer, but then they never know what happened to it. So they needed jokes for trade shows because it's hard to explain rough, like what their solution does. And their CRO told me that they've loosely attributed 160 K of revenue uh, to like one joke. Like they, like, like, like one salesperson in particular used it quite a bit in different phases of their discussions with prospects and these deals got done. And it's, it's always hard to measure humor because even the most sophisticated companies don't seem to want to do it, but you can look at reps and look at things like how much are you connecting on LinkedIn with a joke? Um, What's it doing to your cold calls? Um, you know, it's hard to met, like, I'm not a marketing guy per se. So I'm other than for myself. So, um, you know, attribution is pretty hard, right? It's hard to attribute. Why did this customer buy, whether it's through sales efforts, marketing efforts, because of a joke, it's not an easy thing to measure, but the journey of writing jokes forces reps to understand who is my audience or, or marketers too. who is my audience Let's understand everything about my audience. So I like to say that um, um, Mark Benioff, when he's at Dreamforce, he gets up on stage in front of Salesforce customers and prospects. They're all struggling with a certain set of challenges. They're trying to, they're trying to grow the company. They're trying to gain more revenue. They're trying to cut costs in certain places. And there's all these root causes of those things. And if he can make a joke that touches on something that everyone in the room is struggling with, he's going to connect with all of them. He's going to be more likable and more down to earth and more knowledgeable and will have their attention. And that's just going through that journey of trying to write jokes helps bolster your knowledge of, of your audience and your relevance to them. See, that's awesome. And I, and the thing is about humor, <clears throat> humor or comedians spend ages preparing for, let's say a single uh, skit. Uh, a one hour special, like Joe Rogan said, he spends six months to prepare for his Netflix special. Um, he's thinking, he's writing, he's editing, he's testing it out. Um, he's getting feedback from all sorts of people. But once you sort of nail something, um, it's so, so like, it, it's enormous that payoff, you know, you get the whole room laughing. And you know, you have a winner winning joke. You can tell it's different audiences, different countries, but it resonates. And what it is, is that you are, you're getting all this and you're tying all these connections. Like what comedians do is they make connections that people often don't see between stuff. Um, They're doing all this, like thinking and seeing things um, that we, 
haven't connected the dots to then make a joke out of it. It's, it's a lot of intelligence and thinking is going on um, to, to make that funny and to point that out. So um, marketers often do a lot of research and thinking to determine messaging and positioning in the audience and like the copy and the, and whatnot to be able to formulate, okay, here's the, here's the problem you're having. Here's the solution. Da, 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 da. Um, then add on top of that, how to make that funny as an extra layer, as like, you know, a pill, right. Has the, you know, a gummy, right. You got all, you got your vitamin gummies and that way you get all your vitamins. We don't have to swallow this horse pill. You can just chew like a nice gummy covered in gelatin and glucose. And so I take my, yeah, I take my vitamins every morning because now it, it, they taste great. And I look forward to it because it's an excuse to have adult gummies. I don't know if they actually do anything, but I have gummies. So placebo effect. Um, and so um, maybe, maybe what you can do to maybe help uh, concretize some examples of uh, how you have helped uh, companies use humor, humor in their positioning and messaging, their tagline, like in how they're formulating the problems that their audience is having, and maybe tying that to the solution that they offer. Um, any uh, come to mind? Yeah, uh, I worked with a company called TrustArc, and they are a SaaS who helps privacy teams manage their global privacy compliance efforts. Hmm. cookies right like and and why do they need to do this because legislation is changing in jurisdictions all the time and if companies are out of compliance with privacy law they can get slapped with a big fine hmm. um and, and so it's, they manage it in spreadsheets quite a bit but spreadsheets are static they don't reflect changing laws so that's what trust art does they their, their SAS reflects changing laws across every jurisdiction on the planet uh, I hope I nailed that. Otherwise, um, visit their website, trustart.com. And so, um, you know, part of the challenge is that CEOs don't always understand these, these granular details, right? They don't understand how if you're out of compliance with your marketing efforts and your, your, your privacy efforts, you know, your brand could get really damaged through like a giant lawsuit of some kind. Um, or government regulate, you know, government's fining you for being out of compliance. So the joke I wrote is uh, CEOs are like my parents. The only thing they understand less than technology is privacy. Mm, I like that. That's hilarious. And everyone can identify with that. So yeah. That's, that's a really good one. And so yeah. let, let, let me ask you, how, um, how long did it take? Like, what was the process to come up with that joke? And how long did it take you? Like, what, what was the connections that, I don't know, what was the behind the scenes uh, details on that. Uh, when I write jokes for my clients, I, again, all I want to do is learn about their business. I just want to hear what everyone's saying, what the common themes are. Um, because all this B2B stuff, it's not that complicated. If you take the time to learn about it and you have a head for understanding different kinds of businesses. So I view myself as a consultant more than anything. Um, and I just, I ran discovery. And just learned about this business. And I mean, when you write jokes, and again, that's a short joke. Let's repeat it. CEOs are like my parents. The only thing they understand less than technology is privacy. Right? It's just a simple, short little joke. And I found some patterns and I just kind of I just kind of assembled it, right? Like I heard certain words, 
Technology and privacy, I thought were funny. Like that's a common theme uh, when talking to privacy officers or uh, chief marketing officers who, who are the ones who buy Trust Arc stuff. Um, they had also mentioned that CEOs like don't want to listen to these discussions a lot because it's just like they don't want to deal with technology. And it's just writing jokes is, is an exercise that we put our brains through. And when I first started comedy, uh, when Aaron Ross was uh, ruling the planet, um, <laughs> when he was roaming the planet, um, I, I didn't really know how to do it. But over time, it's like anything, the more reps you get, the easier you see how it is to do. And jokes are formulas. They're, they're just structures, right? And if you can figure out how to populate the structures, you can write an infinite number of jokes. So that's kind of the process. It's like learn everything about who is, my, who is, who, what, what, what do these guys sell? What do they market? Who's their audience? And then what, why should the audience care about our call? Let's make it about them. Let's find some good words and concepts that they can relate to and kind of insert into a joke structure of some kind. Uh, that is awesome. Thanks for, for walking through that. And you know, if you, if you use an analogy at, at the bar, right, there's a cute girl at the bar, there's like a hundred million guys and their grandmother at the bar, they all, you know, they're, they're employed, they got 10 toes and whatever fingers. Um, how are you going to stand out and woo that girl? And what is one of the most desirable traits for a girl um, in general for friendships, for whatever, but it's, it's humor. And so that's how you stand out. It's like the guy that's got a good personality, a good chat and is able to have the, what, what is it? The opening line, the pickup line. Um, it's typically a joke and make the girl laugh because that brings people together. And look, his point about most B2B buyers are like, you know, between or around 30 years old, right? They, they're mid to high level um, and they're a bit cynical, a bit jaded. There's, they have a, they've got experience and they, they're pretty, they've got a lot of knowledge about their industry. If you're able to make jokes and connections about their jokes and industry, um, and their profession, that's going to go a long, long way. They, and they, look, they're on social media a lot. Um, one of the things they really want is to be entertained and, and to laugh, which is why John is, is such a big hit on LinkedIn. And so, um, you know, uh, if you look at, I don't know, there's a B2B sales humor page, LinkedIn page that like gets tons of uh, laughs as well. Um, but you're just able to make observations about, um, you know, uh, the audience and about uh, someone's profession and industry, and then be able to use that in your marketing. It's very, very, very powerful um, to, to, you know, get people to like you and to listen to what you have to say uh, and then share that with other people. So share, it becomes not only consumed, but shareable, which is what, often what you want. Um, you know, you want that network effect and that compounding yield from marketing where someone's like, Hey man, this is hysterical. Check out this video. Yeah. Arc site. Yeah. They have this great joke. Um, I really like it. And then, so that is, you know, that's very powerful as a marketer. You want your content not only to be consumed, but shared now. Um, maybe what you can do is so to help people understand, cause this is not a typical service that you offer. Like if I, if I were to bring on a marketing agency to help with websites, people kind of get that. Um, so maybe what you can do is you can help understand to, let's say an audience of marketers, particularly, um, what is the process? Um, so maybe you can talk a little about the work that you do. If you were to bring on a client to help them, um, infuse market, uh, humor into their marketing, like what, what does that process look like? What do you help? What do you offer? What do you, how do you help them do it? 
Uh, run discovery. Need to understand what their objectives are. Who, who, who are they trying? Whose attention are they trying to get or hold? And what points do they want to impress upon them? And then just go on a fact-finding mission with them to understand all the relevant information. Um, you know, what, what, what problems do you solve for who? What happens if they don't solve these problems? Who else is going to be affected? So it's kind of like, uh, it's, like it, it, it's subject matter mastery. Um, mm. You know, because you can't write a joke about the truth unless you, you've mastered what the truth is. Mm. And the truth comes from consensus from different people within the, the org. Um, sometimes marketing thinks one thing, sometimes sales thinks another, and I want them to bash their heads in till the, till they come to some sort of consensus. Um, so once once we have the truth, then it's a then it's a creative process. Which I've learned you can't teach everyone to to write jokes. Um, some people get it, um, some people really get it, and some people like never in a million years do they understand how to be creative, no matter how much you spoon feed them on the creative process. Um, so I don't necessarily know if anyone could just do this, but, uh, I sort of just put on my standup hat and just try and write some standup about these problems that my clients prospects are struggling with. Mm. So, so I think that's very important because you need to have subject matter expertise or audience expertise, um, to then get to make these connections and, have jokes that resonate with your audience. Right. Um, and so oftentimes comedians will spend a lot of time or they'll make jokes about things they know a lot about, or have thought a lot about and have a lot of knowledge about. Um, and so, um, in a sense, right. Uh, comedians often are able to communicate truth, um, and say things that people, um, weren't able to come up with, couldn't really, you know, were just groping at or weren't willing and, and fearful to say. Um, and so, now, once you help under, you know, your clients understand, or you kind of get that expertise and you say you help them write jokes. And then what do you do then? Like, how do you help them uh, be funny and, and go through this joke writing process? So what are, how do you then translate that expertise into their audience and their messaging to then help them do then the, the humor, uh, infuse humor into their marketing? It depends who's contracting me. Let's just use that word. Um, if it's, if it's a sales development team, I'm building and helping them build a playbook for their sales development efforts. So each joke that you write can be adapted to at least three channels, um, whether it's cold email, a LinkedIn connection requests, video slash voicemail. For cold calling, I teach something called the cold opener, which I'm releasing some self-guided courses. Should anyone be interested? Um and that's, that's, you know, this call is colder than the relationship between sales and marketing. So if I was hitting you up with that, you'd be like, yeah, that's true. How can I help? And that relationship between sales and marketing is a problem I help solve. So I help, I'm helping uh, sales teams craft these cold openers. This call is colder than blank. And the blank is meant to highlight a problem they could eliminate for their prospect. So on the sales development side, you can write a whole whack of jokes to spice up your outreach, to stand out, to be different, to be relevant. Um, with marketers, um, it's it's only recently I'm starting to work with marketers directly and they have different content needs. And so the jokes are kind of like, well, I'm going to be writing jokes, but it's up to them to figure out like, not up to them, it's I'm going to be helping them, but they all have different needs. Like I'm working with- Yeah, it could be for- 
it could be right for, we were talking on the green room earlier about this. Um, it, it could be for positioning. It could be for messaging. It could be in uh, your website and all the content on your website, your taglines. It could be in your ads. It could be your, your uh, events. It could be uh, your podcast. It could be, um, you know, on, on your content and social media marketing, um, how you're infusing humor, even the design or, or certain images you use. Um, there's all sorts of ways that marketers, because there's just the responsible marketing has a large breadth and scope of all the different tactics um, and distribution channels. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more variety that marketers um, have than let's say the sales development route, which is telemarketing and then email and LinkedIn. And the, the, the certain methods that they use, it's like, how am I going to make this telemarketing call? Like, you know, get through this email uh, spam, get through. And so, you know, um, while John historically has worked with uh, mostly sales development and sales teams, he's now realizing and working with, and there's market traction amongst marketers. So like, no, 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 we actually need you to help out these marketing teams with humor um, and please help us. And so um, I think that that's where, and, and, and so I think that's where we were talking about before, where you're just going to hopefully spread your wings and more and more marketers will, will look to insert humor into their their marketing. And so one of the questions I had for you is, well, why don't they, why are marketers um, in B2B unlike B2C um, so tight lipped, so serious um, and fear, maybe fearful. They're always looking over the shoulders to say something and like, they don't want to um, where, you know, what is your take on that? Why don't we see more humor in B2B what's holding B2B marketers back? You answered your own question. It's fear. It's just, it's wanting to not, step outside of a certain box of expectations uh, put on them by their management or perceived expectations, right? Like at the end of the day, I don't think a marketing executive or a sales executive really cares how um, goals are reached as long as they're reached, but they're always looking to mitigate personal risk. And I think there's a perception with humor and with jokes that it's going to be offensive or it's going to cross lines or be too edgy um and that's that's not the case you can write a joke that's as squeaky clean as possible that paints a picture about something truthful and real and not enough people think about that or or realize that like everyone thinks of stand-up comedy or comedians as being offensive and just being outrageous and there's there are marketers who for example like see the value in it but they're just scared to go up the food chain and, and say, hey, let's inject some comedy because they're scared that, uh, or some humor, they're scared that their boss might not, you might have that perception that comedy is offensive and might think negatively of them. Voila. And so I have um, purposely asked this question to make a point clear, which is um, one of the reasons that you outsource things or you delegate to third parties is you're too afraid to do it or don't know how to do it or don't want to do it. And so you have an expert who does it, um, who can help you do it. And you have someone to blame. So um, if things don't go well, and then you can take all the credit when they do go well. But um, the point is, uh, you know, if you work with someone like John, um, it's not about offending people and saying um, ridiculous things. I was looking at his website at the jokes and the joke that he just used for ArcSight, that wasn't offensive. Um, and uh, it wasn't outlandish. And it's not like cursing and talking about his genitalia. And so, um, You'll, you'll have smart comedy and um, intelligent comedy, which is what 
people, which is so prized um, because it, that the joke was so smart and clean. And so it can be very easy to make like dumb, vile jokes, but um, that's not John's thing. And so, and it's not what your buyers really want. Um, so you can, I'm sure when you speak to marketers um, and, and or companies, it's like, you're also, so they're trying to understand what type of, uh, they're looking at the type of humor. Maybe they're assessing their, their own risk tolerance for certain jokes or something like that. Um, and that's, uh, you know, or, or, or what type of humor do they want? Do someone to be edgy? Do someone to, you know, everyone's got a different type of humor. Maybe that's something that you help suss out with them. Um, or you test out different types of jokes and see kind of what lands with your audience, you know, and you sort of figure out the type of humor and the type of tone that you have over time. Right. So it's like they find their voice, right. They find their note. Um, do you see that that people, and maybe also on that note, one thing I'm curious, are there example companies who are doing a good job of humor in their marketing, like in the sales tech space or the marketing tech space that you're aware of that you I know it's like, who the heck is doing funny marketing these days? Um, and so maybe are there any that come to mind? None that come to mind. That doesn't mean that none are. Uh, I'm not seeing it too much. Because again, I think, I, not again, let's make this point. I think like Silicon Valley in particular, um, they take themselves a little seriously. And so therefore they have to say things in buzzwordy jargon that is buzzwordy jargon du jour, as we say mm-hmm. here in the province of Quebec, that's French for of the day. Um, and it seems like it's like, you know, certain buzzwords get picked up on and then just go away. Right. Um, and that's not just in B2B tech sales, that's everywhere. Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of NBA podcasts, uh, especially around the finals and they're using the term hunting. They're hunting him on, on offense. Um, and I'm just like, I never heard that term till this year, trying to maybe match up problems, that kind of thing, but they found this new word and they're all using it Mm. and B2B marketing does the same. I feel, um, so I'm not seeing that many people using it. I think again, it's like, there's this pressure to drop a fair bit of language in there to show them that we're, we're meeting a certain technology trend, whether it's AI or Kubernetes or whatever. It's like, you know these serious terms need to be injected and it's hard to make those funny. Yeah. And so there's a huge competitive advantage because look, the, when everyone zigs, whatever you zag, and we all know we want funny marketing as a buyer, we put ourselves in the buyer's shoes. Um, we see that in B2C all the time, people that are funny. Um, we see that in our personal lives. Um, we like funny people. And so, you know, maybe it's worth having a think about how can we make, um, funny jokes in our infuse that in our positioning and our messaging and our website copy our ads and whatnot to capture people's attention. And look, if we don't have that, it's not our forte. Like we're focused on other marketing objectives and like the basic blocking and tackling of marketing. That's some of the unsexy stuff. Then you can work with someone like John to help workshop or he'll do it for you so that you, you know, you, you have a comedic resource um, who's got the expertise and um, can help you go further faster. And maybe um, doesn't have the constraints of always being fearful of what they're going to say. And he's got the, he just has the mind for humor. So make use of that. You have a resource that you can always have on your team for that. So I think that's very powerful. I'd like to see more of it. One, one company that does come to mind for me a little bit is metadata.io, a uh, marketing software company. Previously guys, we had Jason Whitup on the podcast. Um, 
he's their VP of marketing. And he said to me, when I came into the company, I said that I wanted our company's um, marketing to have like, to be like that nerdy guy in college who was a bit quiet, but was really funny. And, and, and just, and, and is now sort of expressing his, his humor. And so, you know, they're obviously, I mean, tech software, whatever, it's a bit nerdy, but like, and, and it's B2B. Okay. It's not the sexy product. Um, so, but, but they have fun with their marketing and they, they, they're, if you look at their website, you look at their colors, you look at their logo, you look at, uh, their content, their social media and, and that, that they would rip on, uh, certain terms or buzzwords and, you know, have fun with it, then it's very, very powerful. And they exploded in their growth. And um, they're really just, they've built a great company because of it. And it's really driven their profit and growth. And, um, you know, you may not necessarily be able to attribute a specific joke um, to, but you know, it's like when you change your positioning and messaging, and when you do, when you put out good content, you know, what resonates, you know, what hits, um, you know, your market is feeling it. And you, you see that in your correlative trends, in your real goals and metrics, whether those are your leading or your lagging metrics, and in your attribution, when you're uh, interviewing your buyers 1v1, and the qualitative feedback and comments you get from your buyers, whether that's on your content or your social, or when they're speaking to sales, or just like, you know, here and there, word of mouth, which is like, you know, people were digging your content, they're digging your marketing. Um, and that's what led them to come to you. And so you're, you're triangulating all these little data points to say like, Hey, like this, this humor or this is really working. Like people dig our brand. They dig, um, our, our, our personality. And that's, that's born fruit for metadata a lot. Um, so highly, highly encourage people. Um, so with that, maybe John, any, uh, any closing or wrapping thoughts on the subject of, of humor for, for marketers before we close it out? Yeah. Humor doesn't necessarily always need to get this giant laugh out of people. People don't need to bust a gut laughing, mm. but, but the right joke. And I use the term joke, just to be clear. I don't mean like a rabbi, a priest and a minister walk into a bar and say offensive things to one another. Uh, joke mm. is just short form humor. We think of 140 character old school Twitter, um, two sentences, set a punchline, one sentence um, that, that sort of goes, starts in one direction, ends in it goes in a different you know, it ends in a different spot. That's what a joke is to me. That's what stand-ups call jokes. Um, and a, the right joke can either be used to tell a story or paint a picture that is memorable in our minds and that sticks with us. And because great jokes are predicated very often upon specifics and comparing things, and they're simple. And it doesn't necessarily need to get the most laughs in the world, but it should just be something that people remember um, and that, that stands out and that, that again, you know, makes them want to listen more. And, and, and that's a great point. And I'll, I'll mention something from my own personal experience. So when I was at user gems, uh, a marketing software company to help marketers remarket to previous buyers and users that change jobs, I came up with something in our messaging, which was, um, sell to your exes because <laughs> they were your ex customers and they changed yeah. their jobs and people love that. And then this was, there was another part where, to some extent, user gems, it wasn't 100% fully proper marketing at the time. Um, not the way I would have liked it. But and this was early on in my knowledge and, you know, earlier on before I knew the things I knew now, but it, as part of some of the spam that we sent um, in, in email spam, if people didn't get back to us, our breakup email, I came up with, which was unlucky in our affections or something like that. <laughs> so 
um, you know, kind of like old school Jane Austen humor, um, you know, and so, uh, but that broke through, it was different, it was colorful language, so colorful language, um, and it wasn't offensive, it wasn't me, it, like John said, telling a rabbi joke or something, you know, some complicated long form joke, it's just using that type of colorful language. Now, if you're watching this video, um, I've got a red beret on. Um, and if you know my old book cover, it, you know, there was a bit of a, it's a bit of like, you had the skull on the book, whatever. It's just, I, you got to stand out a little bit. You got to be colorful. You got in your language and whatnot. And that's a big part of your humor is just oftentimes just using colorful language and making just like a little funny joke like that. Odd, you know, all little bits and pieces like that. And I saw the benefits from that. So yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think don't, I, I wrote about humor in the book as one of the key marketing tactics. And I actually mentioned John. Um, and that's why I brought John on. And I think John is, um, going to like shine with marketers and like, he's going to be a very well-known name in the marketing circle. Um, because yeah. And I, I, I just think he's just going to be so powerful to help marketers. And I want him to help you guys and to help the BCR community, um, with marketing, because I just think it's just such, such a powerful lever. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to, um, seeing more humor. Thanks to John. And so, you know, thank you, John, so much for coming on and for sharing, you know, your buying preferences and your philosophy of humor and marketing. And, um, you know, hopefully this will be the start of just, just the beginning of a renaissance in, in humor and marketing. So yeah, thank you so much. And with that buyer centric revenue model over and out. Thanks for having me.